Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. My 14-year-old son, Quint, is an umpire. And he has a philosophy of why would I play sports like other kids do when I can get paid to do sports. So he got into this a couple years ago, got immediately into it when we moved to Kentucky last year. And this spring, one evening, I was in bed getting ready to go to sleep. He had just got home from umpiring. He runs into my room. He's buzzing with energy and says, Dad, did mom tell you? I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He proceeds to say, I threw out my first player tonight. And I knew this was a big deal for multiple reasons you could guess, but I also know he takes it very seriously. I mean, he studies umpiring on YouTube. He studies the rule book. He has umpire mentors. He's in communication with the league director, so he would not take something like this lightly. He explains that he was umping a 10-year-old league that night when a player went to third and then tried to stretch it and come on into home. He was out by a mile. Everybody on both teams knew he was out. Quint called him out, no problem. The problem was after that, When the player was walking back to the dugout, he took his helmet, he slammed it on the ground, and then he dropped the F-bomb. So Quint said, you're out of here. And then because he wasn't sure if the parents heard what the kid had said, he added, don't be bringing that language on my field. To which I said, Quint, that's good. I said, but I'm gonna use that next time you talk some smack to mama. I'm gonna say, you're out of here. Don't be bringing that language in my kitchen. (laughs) And I think for people like us, when we come into a room like this, this, we're afraid of that same thing happening, that, that we think if people really knew me, if they knew my thoughts, if they knew my past, if they knew what I did yesterday, they'd say, you're out of here. Don't be bringing that in my church. But then last week happened. And we did the stand up, sit down thing where we realized I'm not alone. And I was overwhelmed with feedback this week on Instagram and email that said the same two things over and over. I thought I was the only one. I had no idea. So it was this great experience last week of I'm not the only one. Here's the problem. We left last week and nothing changed. We had this moment where we all stood up to say, I have a secret. But then we took the secret home. Nothing changed. So the question is, what now? Well, let's think of Jesus. In John chapter five, Jesus goes to a place in Jerusalem, you can still visit today, called the Pool of Bethesda. A little public pool, and in Jesus' day, it was surrounded by people who had various um, sicknesses, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, Scripture says. And there was this legend that whenever you saw the pool bubble up or a ripple in the pool, that meant an invisible angel had tapped the pool and the first person to get into the water would be healed. So surrounded by sick people every day. In fact, there's one man there who'd been going every single day for 38 years. He's paralyzed. I don't know this from scripture, but I imagine what happened is his family would drop him off there every morning. They'd pick him up every night. I imagine he begged for food during the day. He had no life, no future, no prospects. Jesus sees this crowd of hurting people and he goes up to this one man and he asks him 
a great question. He says this, do you want to be healed? It's a piercing question. In fact, I think it's the question before us today. Do you want to be healed? Last week, we had this intense, powerful moment where we realized I'm not alone, but just because you're broken doesn't mean you're doing anything about it. In fact, in John chapter five, when Jesus asked this question to this guy, his response is, I can't. I can't, nobody helps me into the water, he says. Which really is our response as well, isn't it? I can't, I'm too old, I can't, I can't afford it. I, I can't, it's too late, I can't, the system is against me, I can't, nobody will help. But Jesus looks at this man and he says, stand up and walk. And he did. Last week, we stood up. The question today is, will we walk in the truth of the gospel? Because Jesus says the truth will set you free. And the premise of this series is that when our vulnerability collides with the truth of the gospel, we will experience community the way God designed you to have. And since we want to experience that kind of freedom, I want us today to dig in to Jesus' famous statement in John chapter 8, where he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. First thing I want to do is I want to show you what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say half the truth will set you free. It's so tempting for the Christian to accept half truth or to live in some truth, isn't it? In fact, here's the mistake I've made in my past before being at Southeast. We had planted a church for 15 years. And in the early years of that church, I got in the habit of living with half truth in a way. Here's what I mean. It wasn't uncommon to have a visitor at church who was, it was their first time and they would talk to me afterwards and they loved their experience. They met some great people. They wanted to get connected. They didn't know anything about Jesus, scripture or church, but they were very intrigued. But they would say to me, hey, this is great but what do you believe about fill in the blank? And 99% of the time, the fill in the blank was something regarding sexuality, which as you can imagine is a very personal topic. And for a long time, here's what my answer would be. My answer would be, you know what? I'm so glad you're here. We love you. I'm glad you had a great experience. What you're asking is question 432 and following Jesus. We just want you to get to know Jesus and not worry about that. And they'd say, okay. And that's what they would do. And they'd get involved serving and in a group and attending regularly. But then many months would go by, 6, 12, 18 months, sometimes longer. And they would be so fired up for what they were experiencing, they would apply for some type of leadership position in the church, maybe to lead a small group. And we'd sit down with them to interview them. And we'd say, oh, well, you don't have a biblical worldview when it comes to sexuality, so you cannot be a leader here. Then they would get mad, really throw a fit, and say, you all pulled a bait and switch because I asked about that my first day and you didn't say anything, so I'm out of here since you act like that. And they would not just leave our church, they'd leave faith in Jesus. And for a long time, my response was cynical of, man, they're so, sh so shallow. That stinks that they won't just trust Jesus when it comes to vulnerable parts of their life. But over time, I got convicted. They were right. Jesus didn't pull a bait and switch on them, but Carl did. Because I gave them half truth. But combat that with John chapter one that says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And this is a key part of the Christian's theology and how we think and how we live. Because Jesus wasn't some grace and some truth. 
He wasn't full grace sometime and full truth sometime. He was always full grace and full truth at the same time. Which means if we follow Jesus and are representing Jesus well to the non-Christians we rub shoulders with every single day, every non-Christian that you are in relationship with will know that you stand for full grace and full truth. Meaning the non-Christians you're in relationship with will know full truth, that God has a sexual ethic that he says, this is the best way to live. Anything other than this is out of bounds. And they will know full grace that they know when their way stops working, they will run to the church because they know that's a place where they get hope and healing. And if the non-believers in our lives don't understand both of those at the same time, that means we are not representing Jesus as well as we need to in regards to John chapter one. It can't be half truth. Another thing Jesus doesn't say is this, your truth will set you free. I want to kind of do a a deep dive on this uh, because I think it's so important. And some of you are going to think, why does this matter? And it matters because the way of thinking I'm getting ready to explain affects you in your job, affects you in your school, it affects you in our world every single day. Here's, Here's what I want to talk about. Carl Truman is a college professor who wrote a very dense book. I mean, it's kind of like a college textbook called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And he wanted to explain how we got to the current worldview we do. In fact, on page one, he says, I set out to write this book to understand why this question became culturally acceptable, or the statement became culturally acceptable. And the statement was, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. And he traces Western thought for the past 500 years to explain how we got to this cultural moment. I want to sum up a very dense book in just about one minute. He says it started about 500 years ago with Rousseau saying that the psychological self is yourself, meaning your thoughts define who you are. That seeped into culture. Later, Sigmund Freud came along and said, well, all your thoughts are sexual. Sex drives all your thoughts, he said. That seeped into culture. The result of that, think about this, is the Bible has a lot to say about sexual behavior, but it wasn't until Freud that sex became an identity. So today, when a teenager says, I'm gay or I'm trans or I'm anything else, it very rarely is about an experience they've had. It's often about a mindset they choose. Then Karl Marx's thinking was built on top of that and said, you know, sex is political. Because think about this, when scripture says this type of behavior is inbounds and this type of behavior is destructive, because of this thinking, the person with this worldview won't hear that type of behavior is wrong. They will actually hear that type of person is wrong. So when the scriptures take a stand or when the church and Christians preach against a certain type of behavior that shouldn't exist, what people think we're saying is that type of person shouldn't exist, which Genesis 1, we know isn't true, but because of the worldview, that's what people hear. This is why people believe my truth sets me free. Let's combat that with what Jesus says right before the statement, the truth will set you free. He says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. He's saying, stand on truth 
not feelings. I have a friend who his hobby is to be a pilot of small, like four-seater type planes. And he asked me once, do you want to go up with me on one of my flights? I said, I'd love to. Sounds great. So me and one of my sons showed up with him at the small airport, watched him examine the plane. We go up in the air. It's totally cool watching him do his thing and talk in the tower and everything. Then he says, is it okay with you guys if I practice a maneuver I've recently been trained on? We're idiots. So he said, yes. He proceeded to do something with the controls that slowed us down. And then we just take a nosedive and we're going right towards the earth. I can see the ground coming straight at me. He then does whatever he does. We level out, we get back up to the, alto, uh, to the right altitude. He's laughing. He says, do you all wanna do it again? Immediately, my son says, yes. And I said, no. <laughs> but then he explained what had just happened. It was this deep life lesson for me because he said, when a plane slows down and that happens, your instinct is to pull up and make the angle of the plane change because the angle is wrong. But he said the angle of the plane is not the problem. What is actually the problem is the speed of the plane. So what a trained pilot knows to do in that situation, even though you're going right towards the ground, is actually speed up going towards the ground. Then the draft of the air pushes up on your wings and you get back level and safe. If a pilot follows his feelings, we crash. If he follows the truth of his training and his instruments, we enjoy the ride. And this is why your truth doesn't set you free. The truth sets you free. Last thing it doesn't say is watered down truth will set you free. And here's kind of the metaphor that helps me understand this. When we moved back here 11 months ago, I was glad to be back in God's country, which I simply mean is the land where sweet tea is served at every restaurant. I am of the firm conviction that we will drink sweet tea with Jesus in heaven, except it won't give us cavities. But I love a good glass of sweet tea in the summer. But here's what can happen, right? As you get your glass of sweet tea, you go outside, and if you're just kind of talking or hanging out without drinking for a while, the ice at the top melts. You know what I'm talking about? You get kind of that layer of melted ice that's just water. So if you're not paying attention and you take a drink, it's not sweet tea. It's kind of like diluted tea-flavored water, and it's just not good, right? And watered down anything, whatever your drink of choice is, is nasty. Watered down truth doesn't set you free because it doesn't have the power, it doesn't have the punch that it's supposed to have. Think about this. A watered down drink doesn't taste good. A watered down gospel doesn't let you taste and see the Lord as good. And look at our truth, look at our list. Let me explain what we mean. When we say half truth, we're saying you don't give all the truth. When we say watered down truth, what we're saying is you're adding so much to it that you're diluting its effects. So what kind of things do people do to add to God's truth? There's probably an infinite list. I compiled a few, some of these, which I've pushed over the years. It's God's truth plus don't ever use social media. It's God's truth plus don't own guns, those are violent. It's God's truth plus don't drink alcohol, that's hurt some people. It's God's truth plus you better go on that retreat if you really wanna love the Lord. It's God's truth plus you can never watch things like that. It's God's truth plus you need a written prayer journal even though Jesus never had one if you wanna have a good prayer life. And please hear me. As you grow in Christ, God's spirit will convict you personally of both boundaries you need to put in place and habits you need to practice so he can do his work of sanctification on you. 
But the moment I take those and say that you have to follow those same things or you're not good with God, I become a heretic. And that's what the book of Galatians is all about. When you add to the truth, it gets watered down. It's why God gave his people this command long ago. Be careful to obey all the commands I give you. You must not add anything to them. So look at our list here. Jesus doesn't say half truth will set you free or your truth or watered down truth will set you free. The thing this actually makes me think of is start of school. Sorry to bring it up. <laughs> but those of you who are teachers, administrators, students, you're gonna be challenged to do every one of these, tempted to do every one of these, right? But for all of us, what do we do? How do we combat that? Well, the real verse says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But what does that mean? Well, I dove into this verse more than I ever have recently, and I discovered something very interesting, cool, and challenging that I want to share with you. Jesus says, this is my little new teaching tool, Jesus says, the truth will set you free. That's what John 8 says. So I looked up this word truth, and it's the word in Greek, lanthano. I want you to say lanthano when I count to three. Say lanthano, one, two, three, go. Okay, you are Greek experts. Look at that, good job. Now the Greek language has something in common with the English language where in English, you can put the letter A in front of a word and it will mean the opposite, right? So you can have the word typical, which means ordinary, everyday. But if you put the word A in front of it, atypical means extraordinary, unique, one of a kind. And the Greek language is the same way. So this, this is the root word, but it has an alpha in front of it to make one word, alanthano. Well, the letter alpha, just like our letter A, means no. Jesus says, if you wanna be free, you have to live a no lanthano kind of life. Well, what's lanthano mean? Here's what it means. Secrets. Isn't that something? Jesus says, if you want to be free, which I think you do, you got to live in such a way that you have no secrets. So here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. I have identified three categories of secrets. Secret sin, secret dreams, and secret struggles. And the thing I have been praying for you this week leading up to this sermon is that over the next several minutes as we walk through these three things that God's spirit will convict you of one of them. I mean, you can tackle all three if you want. That may be a little overwhelming. My prayer has been God will convict you of one that you go do some work on. Okay, we're gonna do, go through them one at a time. First, let's talk secret sin. When we hear secret in a Christian context, this is normally what we jump to is the sin. But James 5 says this fascinating thing. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now here's what's fascinating about this is because I would think it would say, confess your sins so you may be forgiven. Now other scriptures say that. Paul writes about that a lot. John writes about that a lot. But James takes it a step further. And he says, confess to each other so that you may be healed. Isn't that interesting? When I say secret sin, you may think of some big giant sin that's looming in your closet. 
And if so, you need to get that out. I recall the first time as a young preacher that I ever preached on the story of David and Bathsheba and its affair, its murder, uh, its attempted cover-up. It all comes out. It's just a complete mess. I heard the day after I preached on that story that a couple went home from church and that afternoon the husband said to the wife, I need to confess to you that years ago I had an affair. She responded, I need to confess to you that years ago I had an affair. And there had been this extreme dysfunction and alienation and loneliness in their home for years and they both knew it, but it was only when their secrets came out that they actually got on a healthy path to healing. If you have a big secret sin, get it out. But what may be more likely is you have a small secret sin that is incapable in its current form of destroying anybody's life, but if left unchecked, will lead to something bigger. I saw a physics teacher on YouTube illustrate what I'm talking about. Watch this. Everybody knows about playing with dominoes, but what you may not know is that a domino can knock over another domino, which is about one and a half times larger. So what I have here is a chain of dominoes. Each one is one and a half times larger than the previous one. And the smallest domino is about five millimeters high and one millimeter thick. And I will carefully place it. And there are 13 dominoes. And the largest domino, it weighs about 100 pounds and is more than a meter tall. Ready? Boom. That was 13 dominoes. If I had 29 dominoes, the last domino would be as tall as the Empire State Building. I know some of the students are like, why are you putting us through school? That doesn't start yet. And that's a high school physics lesson, but I think it's actually a spiritual lesson, isn't it? Right? I have this weird thing I do. I, I know it's weird because my friends tell me it's weird, I'm weird, where once a year or so, I will go to Google and I will look up a phrase like pastor fired affair or pastor uh, church embezzlement, something like that. And inevitably it will give me a list of fresh news stories where something like that has happened and somebody was in a big sin that destroyed so many people. And the reason I search for that stuff is to scare myself because I know I'm not gonna knock over a 100 pound domino today. It's not going to happen. But I can knock over a five millimeter domino did this week, and if I don't confess that, there's no telling where it'll lead. See, nobody sets out to destroy their life. Nobody says, none of those people I read about in the news set out to say, you know what, I think I wanna end up divorced and have my wife hate me and the church be in trouble and my kids need therapy all because of my decisions. But what happened is they knocked over one domino, which led to another, which led to another, and then the whole house burned down. And I'm projecting, but I'm guessing those people thought things like, oh, they'll be disappointed in me. Sharing that would be awkward. Is that even a sin? 
but it was a small domino that led to something bigger and they didn't confess, they kept it in the dark and evil grows in the dark. So do you have a secret sin you need to confess? Second type of secrets I wanna dive into is what I call secret dreams. Now this is probably not what you think of when we talk about getting secrets out into the open, but a part of living authentically and vulnerably is getting dreams you have out into the open. In Matthew 23, Jesus repeats a certain phrase over and over, six times in fact. He says, woe to you hypocrites. And reminder, the Greek word hypocritas was the word for Greek play actor. They didn't have multiple actors if you were at the playhouse. They had a couple actors. They would hold a mask over their face. Then to play another part, they would run backstage. They would grab another mask. And when they came back out, they were playing a different role. And everybody knew that. Jesus is the first person in known history to take the Greek word for play actor and apply it to someone who is a religious fraud. And then, so to live authentically means we have to get our dreams out there. My opinion is this is really hard for Christian men specifically because we are taught accurately, we are taught to be the example of Christ in our homes, that you die to self, you lay down your life, you put others' needs ahead of your own. But sometimes we mistakenly think that means we can't pursue God-given dreams. So here's some dreams some Christian men have shared with me. One has a dream to be independently wealthy by age 35 because he wants to be able to preach in his church without them giving him a salary. One has a dream to write a book. One has a dream to start a wilderness camp for inner city kids that they can attend for free. Another has a dream to get paid to play music on stage one day. One has a dream to hike the entire Appalachian Trail. One has a dream to win a bodybuilding competition. But when you share your dream, it feels awkward, you risk being laughed at, people may think it's stupid. But if you're going to be known, if you're going to experience community, you've gotta get your dream out there. I'll be a little bit vulnerable. I have a dream that one day I will be able to combine two passions of mine. One being my passion for epic outdoor adventures and the other being my passion to dive in with a small group of men and do deep soul work. That I can take groups of 10 or 20 men at a time to hike a 14er or hike the half dome or go whitewater rafting and at the same time have a spiritual formation process going with that so we literally have a mountaintop experience with God. And I don't know when that'll happen, but that's my dream. It feels a little weird to say it, but Jesus says, hey, live a no secrets kind of life. So to do that, if you have a dream, share it. Last one on our list is secret, secret struggles. These are things that are not sin, but you don't like other people to know. I read a biography of Napoleon one time, and it told the story of when the French army invaded Russia, and the Russian army did something no army in recorded history had ever done. They evacuated the capital. It's a little confusing, the French army, but in the meantime, they took up residence in the capital. Napoleon was living in the palace. His men were camped in the courtyard below. When Napoleon was getting ready for bed, his orderly went over to snuff out the candle, and Napoleon said, oh, no, 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 don't, don't put the candle out. He said, oh, I'm sorry, sir, are you not done writing? I thought you were going to bed. 
Napoleon said, I am going to bed, but don't snuff out the candle. Leave it on all night and make sure it stays on because my men in the yard below know which window is mine. And if they wake up in the middle of the night and they look up at my window, I want them to see my candle on because I want them to think that their general is working. That'll give them confidence going into the next battle. And the problem with Napoleon is he bought into the caricature of himself. And the image of Napoleon was more important than the reality of Napoleon. And we think just like Napoleon. We think if people knew the real me, they wouldn't accept me. But it's a lie. And we need the truth to set us free. It's why Paul says, now I'm I'm actually glad to boast about my weakness. How can he say that? Because God's got him. So what do we mean by secret struggles? It's the person you struggle to forgive. It's the raw emotion you have towards God. It's the sadness about your current situation. I think this is especially difficult for those of you with the mental health diagnosis. It feels shameful and secretive. It's something that culture at large has gotten wrong and the church has messed up on a lot in the past. And then the spiritual component is we often think, well, if I really love Jesus, I wouldn't have this problem in my head. But it's a struggle and it's real. Hope has always been very elusive to me. It's really difficult when you're depressed. Depression is very dark and it's cold. And I just feel my whole body sinking and I can see very small light and there's no way for me to reach that light. And it's extremely, extremely lonely. I pretty much went through depressive episode after depressive episode through my teens. Um, I would find things that would give me hope, but of course those were just temporary. And I have a lot of self-hatred with my depression. So it was a lot of blame. Mindy, if you would just stop messing up, then you would have nothing to be sad about. And it's like, I'm a horrible Christian. I'm not gonna tell my pastor. I'm not gonna tell my husband because I don't want to admit that I don't have the faith. And vulnerability was not reinforced. It was essentially punished. Uh, When I was vulnerable, I got hurt. Well, my thoughts were like, you deserve to be hurt. And eventually my frustration would turn into the hopelessness. I just prayed to God that I wouldn't wake up the next morning. I would ask the Holy Spirit to pray for me and felt nothing. I know the Bible says that God will never leave you nor forsake you, but I just, don't understand how he could leave me feeling so alone.
So I was connected with a clinical counselor in the counseling center at Southeast. I got on medication with the help of my psychiatrist and that got me, um, along with therapy, got me on the right direction. I started attending Encounter pretty regularly. They modeled vulnerability for me. That was so crucial for my healing. I've kind of tested the waters and in group, like I would share something and then be like, can I really be myself? It's like, hmm, okay. So safe, it's safe. I met people who connected with me, who care for me and who are compassionate and say like, I will hold the hope for you. So I don't have to try to like conjure hope. You've got it. I can just, you know, be me. It's not even that I'm looking for them to say anything. I'm just like, just knowing that you know comforts me. I've been able to become a facilitator and I can connect with this person because I've been there. Like if I can help bring hope to other people when it was so elusive to me, then maybe it was worth something. My ultimate hope is knowing that one day Jesus will make everything all right. One day my brain will work the way that it's supposed to work. And that one day depression will be so far in my past that I can just imagine me being like, oh, remember that thing called depression? That was awful. I'm so glad that that's not a thing here. That is my ultimate hope, knowing that one day I will be healed and um, that I will truly be free from depression. We thank Mindy for having the courage to share that story with us. We want you to know that if you find yourself like Mindy, having a mental health struggle or any other kind of really intense struggle that maybe a typical Bible study won't be able to help with, our care ministry really, uh, not wants to, but even exists to help you. And we want you to text the word CARE to 733-733 if you find yourself in a spot like that needing a deep level of help. In fact, I got an email or letter this week that said, you know, Carl, there's one thing wrong with our encounter groups. And I kind of leaned in like, what is the one thing wrong with our encounter groups? They have so many good ones, so many campuses. And they said, there's just not enough people in them. And I think, I think that's true. There are multiple lessons from her story, but the one I want you to hear today is this. What was inside her, she got out. What was inside her, she got out. And we're gonna talk more about this next week, but it didn't get fixed. Jesus didn't take away her depression. In fact, she got burned along the way. She said sometimes vulnerability was punished, but what was inside her, 
she got out. One of the, Holy, one of the things the Holy Spirit does, John 16, 8, is convict us of secret sin, secret dreams, secret struggle. What has the Holy Spirit convicted you of today that you need to get out? You gonna do it? You follow what he says? But here's the thing, we have to end with this. You can't do it without Jesus. I mean, if Jesus didn't die on the cross for my sin, I'll keep my secrets to myself, thank you very much. Because we have to combine John 14 with John 8 because John 8 says the truth will set you free, but John 14, Jesus says, I am the truth. And if that's not true, if he didn't rise, keep your secret. Keep it, because things will be worse when you get it out. But because Jesus rose, you are not alone. Because Jesus rose, you can trust him when he says, I'll give you full grace and full truth. Because Jesus rose, you can believe if you're tired and worn out and weary, come to me and I'll give you rest. Because Jesus rose, you can say with Paul, I'll actually boast about my weakness because that's when the power of Christ comes alive in me. So I think we need to end where we started. Do you wanna be healed? Do you wanna be healed? If so, whatever's inside you, it's time to get it out. It requires bringing your secrets to light. I know you are scared. I know you have a pit in your stomach. Jesus will be with you and guide you. And if you do not have Jesus to guide you through this, you need Jesus. You need to lay down your pride. You need to choose faith and express that by repenting and being baptized to say, Jesus, my way isn't working. <laughs> I give up. I need you. Bad things grow in the dark. Jesus says a no secrets kind of life will set you free. So let's take him at his word because he rose from the dead. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I, I think we know. I think we know what that thing is. And we're trying to think of something else. We want it to be this other thing. But John 16, eight has been fulfilled here today. You have convicted us and that's a good thing. So God, may we be people who model to those around us full grace and full truth. And this week, may the way we model that be that we step into the light and drag those secrets kicking and screaming out of the dark, trusting, trusting that you and the people you've put around us will take care of us. We love you, Lord. Thanks for loving us first. Amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.